0: Hello everyone and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 111. This is a talk I actually did on Christmas Eve. It struck me that as I was thinking about Christmas, that it is, and the Christmas narrative, the story of Jesus' birth, that a lot of it is not necessarily obvious to most people. I mean, what is the big deal about Jesus being born? Why was it so significant? And and on first reading, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I've noticed this a lot when I, I try and look at a text with fresh eyes, you know, and I think, would that make sense to me if I didn't have any background on this? And it's like, mm, no, I don't think it would. I don't think it would. So that's what I want to look at. I want to look at that famous, well, somewhat famous passage in Luke 2. I say it's famous because I was channel surfing over Christmas time. I was actually looking for my favorite Christmas movie, which is A Christmas Story. Yeah. Well, I didn't find it, but I found another good one. I found Charlie Brown's Christmas. And of course, I've seen it many times, but again, I was quite surprised to hear Linus read a long section of the Gospel of Luke. So the writer Charles Schultz, I think, you know, as I looked at this uh, movie, I did a little research in it, and apparently his main goal for Peanuts, for his Christmas special was to focus on the true meaning of Christmas and uh, the movie begins with Charlie Brown being depressed because of the all the, the it's so commercialized right Lucy wants real estate and Snoopy decorates his doghouse he wants to you know be in a neighborhood lights contest and Sally, Charlie's younger sister, writes a greedy Santa letter and he gets more and more depressed because the true meaning's lost, right? Well, he, of course, Schultz wrote this in the 60s, but really, has anything changed? Probably worse, right? It's probably worse. Because when I was thinking about Christmas, well, Christmas here in the USA, anyway, in North America, I think primarily for most people it's about good food, a nice dinner with family or friends, or both. Of course, it's about gift-giving. Yes, if you have children, it's going to be about Santa Claus, too, and uh, trees and decorations, and lots of events, too. It tends to be a time where we'll maybe go to more plays or more concerts, more Christmas music. For some people, there are church services involved. Um, certainly the, the the minority here in Northern California would be church service. And, yeah, so it's a, it's a not necessarily religious holiday. It can actually be a very melancholy holiday because, you know, if you're not home for Christmas or if someone is missing from your Christmas table, it can actually be quite a stressful and exhausting time. Or... It can also be quite magical, especially if you are little, right? If you're just a little person, it can be really quite a magical time. I remember that when I was a kid. It was absolutely enchanting. So Christmas is, evokes all sorts of feelings and expectations. And so Schultz put together this movie in the hope that the true meaning would would come forth. And what he does is, in the movie, is is that he, the highlight, the climax of the movie is when uh, the words of the Gospel of Luke are read out. And the key line is, today, this is a quote from the Bible, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah the Lord, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So this is what struck me this year upon first reading. That line probably will not leap off the page and address all the things that you are wondering about and grappling with in your life, right? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He's the Messiah. However, here's the thing. It made a lot more sense to the shepherds who first heard this good news because, simply because, they had been waiting for someone to come And they called this someone a messiah. And they had been waiting for a long, long, long time. Truth be told, they had been been waiting for centuries. The ancient people had been waiting for centuries for this one called the messiah. So when the angels uh, appear and fill the sky with the glory of God, which I think is all about even the creation itself expressing joy in some ways. I think it's a very uh, beautiful, poetic way of talking about every single thing is going to be affected here by what we call the incarnation, which is basically God taking on the form of a human. So it made sense to these shepherds, and that's why in the Christmas story, there's a part where the shepherds are told and I mean they're just thrilled to bits and go off and tell everyone they hear Messiah has been born. I mean if that happened today it it doesn't matter who's going to tell us it's not going to make that much sense to us because we're not waiting on a Messiah. But it was very very different 2,000 years ago and it seems to me that you really we, we really need to understand where the first listeners were coming from before we can really apply these ancient texts to our lives. You know, the, the passage in Luke starts off with uh, this decree that went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered, which means a headcount, a census. And this Emperor Augustus, was really the almighty ruler of the known world. Roman Empire. This is the time of the Roman Empire. They had taken over the entire known world. He liked to be called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if that rings any bells. He liked to be called the Divine Son, if that raises a flag. He liked to be called the Son of God. Yeah you can still find coins with his head stamped on them, son of the divine one. So as you can imagine, with this kind of power and ego, what Augustus desired, Augustus got, and he wanted to raise taxes 60%. But first he needed a head count, so everyone needed to check in and register in their hometown, and that's why Mary and Joseph are traveling to Bethlehem Joseph came from Bethlehem patriarchal society he's the one that needs needs the head count 90 mile trip winter time probably cold right probably in the 30s Mary's about to deliver her baby at this point in the story and if anyone refused the head count well You refuse Augustus anything, uh, you die. So this was the world that Jesus was born into this. Third world context, military dictatorship. Their land was occupied by Roman military. Everyone was coerced to do whatever Augustus wanted. So it was cruel, it was violent, it was oppressive. And most of the people of ancient Israel were peasants. Mary and Joseph would have been very poor people. He was a carpenter. He's not going to be rich, right? So most of Jesus' stories are about farmers and fishermen and people barely surviving. doesn't really go to the powerful people and the moneyed people necessarily. Um, goes to the poor. They're more open. They have less to lose, right? So but overall, the for the centuries, you know, the ancient people had been praying this prayer. God, send us someone to help us. Bring us someone who can help us. We need a king who will save us from Augustus. Now, they're thinking an earthly king, right, who will come in and power over and do what the usual kings and lords of history do, right? But... That's what they're thinking, but obviously God had another plan. So that's what they're praying for. You know, when when we suffer, when people suffer, they look for ways to relieve their suffering. That's what we do, right? If we're really, really suffering, we start to pray. Because we're looking for help. We're looking for change. We're looking for some kind of assurance. It's like, God, come and do something here. So that was sort of the... Heart cry really of the land before Jesus was born. It's like God, please, you've got to do something to help us. So the story is um, Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem. Uh, of course, obviously it's busy because everyone is there who was born there, for you know to register. And you know the story that the inn is full and Mary ends up giving birth in the animal quarters of the inn. And he's born and he's wrapped in cloths and he's placed in a manger. Now, that part's strange, right? It's not necessarily strange that he's wrapped in cloths. That was normal. But to be placed in a manger, which is a food rack, no, that's that was even strange then. There's lots of strange things in the Bible, but th- this one's strange. Uh, and there's a meaning to that later. I think that that's why that the angel said to the shepherds, "It's a particular baby. This is the one. Go find him. He's he's in he's in the manger. He's in the the, the food box. The fodder rack, right?" Well, the whole birth would have gone unnoticed unless God intervened a second time, told these local shepherds. There they were, out in the fields, minding their own business. And uh, actually, nobody really paid much attention to shepherds in those days. They were not they, they. were really at the bottom rung of the social ladder. Nothing special about shepherds. Uh, but that's the way it is with God. And you see that in all these stories. God has no patience for social ladders, you know, that kind of caste system sort of thing, classes, just doesn't doesn't really, doesn't work in any of these stories. Oh, in fact, all the stories are about turning these systems upside down anyway. So yeah, the angel appears to the shepherds and yeah, this, the, the message is there's a baby and it's in a manger. That's how they recognize it, it's in the babies in Bethlehem. And he's the Messiah. He is the true Lord. Remember Augustus? It's like, shepherds, your prayers have been answered. God has answered the prayers of the people. Remember, you're all longing for this new king. Yeah, you're you're looking for someone who will come and help you. And give you hope. Well, this is like a dream come true because this is what the the shepherds are saying. It's like, yeah, joy to the world. Joy to the world. And and so Luke goes on and tells us that the shepherds make their way to Bethlehem, find the child in the manger, and then they just tell everyone who will listen to their story. A saviour's been born. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords, not the one that we're used to, this is the real one. This is the Son of God. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now remember, these are all titles for Caesar Augustus. And that's significant because it gives you a little sneak preview why people will find this one, the Christ child, threatening. People are going around calling him Lord or even whispering king of kings. That's going to get him into a lot of trouble. This Jesus has been born, Yeshua. Yeshua it means saviour. It means, it means to deliver or rescue. So the very first people who heard the Christmas story needed to be rescued from Augustus, obviously, and poverty and violence and starvation and sickness hopelessness makes sense why Jesus would come on the scene right thirty years later and start healing first thing he did there's the sign look what god's doing in the world now here's the here's the thing this is why it's hard to Apply. We don't worry about Caesar Augustus. We don't care about Caesar Augustus. But in many, many ways, the human condition hasn't changed much. Now, of course, we've made many advances. However, there's still a lot of fear in the world, isn't there? There's still a lot of anxiety in our lives, even today, for example. How do you make decisions about the future? when everything seems so cha- it's so changeable and unstable just now. I suppose it's always been this way, but we're certainly more aware of it today, aren't we? We don't have Caesar Augustus breathing down our necks. Maybe what oppresses us looks different, but it's there, right? Maybe the thing that, crushes us is very different. But nonetheless it's oppressive to us. Yeah, see the angel said a savior's been born. So it's like, well if it's a savior, it's like, well what do I need saved from? Like if it's if he's called savior, I mean it gives me the it gives me the idea I need to be saved from something. And there's a million ways to answer that question. But you know sometimes Sometimes I feel I need to save from myself. You know, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. We don't use that word much, saviour or rescuer. We don't even use the word deliverer. Well, outside of a church setting, we don't. All those old words um, are not common everyday language for us, but... I think we can all relate to the fact that sometimes we need a lot of help. Actually, God has some names that we can relate to. God, they're One of the names that God has is counselor. And that is something that translates um, with more ease into the 21st century because we all know that a counselor is a helper of sorts. So that is actually one, one of the names of God. But in the Christmas story, it's names like King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Messiah. And that, most of us, we certainly don't use it in everyday life. You know, most of the ancient world, this is an intriguing fact, but most of the ancient world actually missed the birth of Christ. There weren't really that many people who certainly witnessed it or were even touched by Jesus' life and ministry to begin with. I mean, even the people that were actually there with him, the religious leaders uh, didn't recognize him as anything special. In fact, they thought he was trouble. The political leaders of the day found him threatening. Uh, Some were opposed, just simply, they just opposed him. Uh, Some people found that their prayers had been answered. Uh, Some people were kind of neutral. They weren't really sure what to make of him. Uh, Lots of people didn't hear about him. They didn't even know enough to reject him. You know, he only had a, what, 25-mile radius ministry in his life. Yeah, he's not like the Apostle Paul who traveled all over the world in boats and everything. You know, this is... Jesus and the disciples, they kept close to home. So there was lots of people that that didn't even hear about him, which I think is, you know, I mean, I think that's what's happening today. I mean, a lot of people don't even know enough to reject him. I mean, many people think they reject Christ, but I don't think they reject him. They don't even know who or what they're rejecting. I mean, they might reject the institutional church, Well, yeah, that's totally different from Christ, right? If you said to a 21st century person, hey, the Messiah's been born, most people aren't going to be leaping for joy. Right? That's that's hard for us. Secular society to say, hey, a Savior's been born. Most people aren't going to be leaping for joy. However, I did find an odd connection to this text this year round. It's a really obscure prophecy, and it sort of made sense to me. For the first time, I'd never seen this before. You know, dotted all over the Old Testament, there are these prophecies, these sort of what we would call foretellings of someone who will come in the future that will, let's just say, turn the world upside down and bring healing and a new order to life that has never been experienced before. Ancient, ancient prophecy, way back, 500-odd years before Jesus was born. And the prophecy states, it's actually from Haggai 2.7, I mean, who would know? But the, 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 the prophecy states, the desire of all the nations will come. That's the line. The desire of all the nations will come. Now, that word desire means precious things. It means um, something that you long for. Now, this little line here in, in the Hebrew scripture is what Christian theologians call a foreshadowing of Christ. So it's like desire Precious things, longing. What is it about humanity that every generation has this? Some things not quite right here on this earth, and yet it's beautiful, it's precious. But sometimes I long for more. Sometimes I long for something else. Yeah, it's like the line, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? It's like Bono's line. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. What's that about? It's about longing. It's about longing. Now, this is a a particular kind of longing. This isn't the longing for a new car or the longing for a particular person. Because this is the type of longing that you can't quite grasp. It's that kind of longing. Sometimes you catch glimpses of it. Sometimes you may even have a, a sense that this longing has been uh, met in a temporary kind of way. Yeah, it's like a, it's like you're something's missing. Now, here's a great line from C.S. Lewis. sums it up so well. Lewis said, if I I find in myself desires which nothing can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You have a desire in yourself and nothing is quite satisfying it. That's because that desire can only be fulfilled by something outside of this world. I think this desire, this longing that that we have as individuals, as human beings, I think even the creation itself has this longing actually, but that's a whole other story. Um, I think the desire, this longing that we sometimes feel, I think all of that is fulfilled in Christ. In the sense that he is the answer in this life and the next life. You know, when he said, look, I, I, come and join me. Partner yourself to me. The old word is abide in me. It's about uh, a joining together. Abiding in, joining, partnering. Maybe it's like the best way to say it today in contemporary language. It's like I'm not going to tackle this myself. I am inviting the Christ, the Messiah, God. Emmanuel, there's another lovely name. Emmanuel means God in us, God with us, God around us, God behind us, God ahead of us. There is the prayer, there's the heart cry for every longing of the heart, Jesus, the Messiah. He says, we're in this together. We're in this together. Come with me, follow me, and I will give you what you need, more than what you need, to get through this life. What a great great Christmas promise I think that that's how that's one of the ways that we can understand what it means that the Christ is born there's many ways there's no way I don't think that we can ever really get to the to the bottom of what it meant that God took on flesh I don't think our brains can get around that but we maybe our brains can get around the fact that Emmanuel is with us abiding in us and helping us every day. Well, thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.